Thanks so much for tuning into this message today. My name is Pastor Joey McLaughlin, and the heartbeat of Elevate City Church is to help people know Jesus, follow Jesus, and lead others to do the same. And we spend seasons focusing on those three ideas. And right now, we're in a follow season. We want to help you follow Jesus like never before, help you live in his ways and practice his teachings. And so in this next message, that's what you're going to discover, how to be a disciple who makes disciples for Jesus. If this message is inspiring for you, we would love it if you'd hit that subscribe button so you can get the most up-to-date Elevate City content. And you can also give in the link below to get this message in front of more people. My prayer is that you are inspired and challenged today. Be blessed. Guys, I want for you to know that uh, this already goes down as one of my favorite days in the history of church. And I ain't even started preaching yet, okay? And so I want for you to turn to your neighbor and say, you might be in trouble today. You just might be in trouble today. Hey, can I just say for a second um, that I am changed. I am marked by the humility of a 67-year-old senior pastor getting baptized today. For the rest of my life, today will serve as this reminder that it is never too late for God to do a new thing in your life, amen? It is never too late and you are never too old to say yes to Jesus. And so I don't know who the Holy Spirit, who door he is knocking on right now saying, hey, it's time for you to get baptized, but you ain't got no excuses, amen? All right, you guys can go ahead and grab a seat. Um, If you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, go ahead and grab them and open them up to the book of Jonah, Jonah chapter four. For those of you who are new to the conversation, we've been um, in a collection of talks studying the book of Jonah. Let me hear you say Jonah. And uh, I think that this uh, is gonna be an epic, epic conclusion to this conversation that we've been in today. Um, Throughout this series, we started this series wanting to answer two questions, two questions. And the first question was this, was how far will God run after runaways? How far will God run after runaways? Like he's gotta have a limit, right? Like how far is he really willing to go? How deep is his grace? How far stretching is his mercy? Like surely he's got a breaking point where he just gets annoyed with us and he throws up his hands, walks away. Like what is the limit to God's love? And the second question is this, is how do I follow Jesus when I'd rather turn and run? How do I follow Jesus when I'd rather turn and run, when I know what Jesus has asked me to do, but everything on the inside of me is telling me, hey, bro, you should go to Tarshish instead. Like you should find a boat and get on it, get out of this conversation, cause it's awkward and run. When everything on your insides are screaming, run away, don't trust Jesus, give in to the inclinations of the flesh, say yes to the patterns of the world. How do you keep your feet firmly planted in the grace and in the will of Jesus? And that's our hope today is to answer those two questions. And I think that Jonah chapter four is gonna be perfect to do it. If you're new to the conversation, let me catch you up. Jonah's on the run. Jonah is a man of God on the run from the mercy of God. God told Jonah to go to Nineveh. Jonah was in Joppa and God says, go to Nineveh. And Jonah says, "Uh, God, you're breaking up. I've got uh, Israel PCS. And so I'm gonna go, that's a funny Metro PCS joke, okay? So I'm gonna go down to the local docks where Tommy is working and I'm gonna hop on a boat towards Tarshish. That was also a funny Bon Jovi joke, okay? 
And so I'm gonna hop on this boat towards Tarshish and I'm gonna go 2,500 miles away in the opposite direction. Jonah's gotta work harder to disobey God than he would have to just do what God told him to do. And isn't that the way that disobedience works? We've gotta work harder to disobey God than to be obedient to the thing that he's called us to do, but God won't let Jonah go. Jonah goes down to the docks and he gets on a boat and he heads towards Tarshish. And what God does is he sends a storm to wreck Jonah's escape plans. Anybody glad that God will wreck your escape plans in the house this morning? That he will send things into your life to get you back on course. And that's exactly what God does with Jonah. He sends this storm and the storm is so violent that these mariners, these pagan mariners, they don't even love God. They're idolaters. They got a ton of different gods. They're like, hey, what do we need to do? Will you pray to your God? Jonah won't even pray to his God. And then eventually Jonah's like, all right, I'm on the run from God. This is the reason that the storm is happening. If you'll just throw me overboard, this whole thing will calm down. And so they like roll the dice and they're like, yep, you're not lying, throwing you overboard. And so they throw Jonah into the ocean and uh, Jonah is drowning because this is what sin does. Sin causes us to drown and he is headed towards the bottom of the ocean. He's got seaweed wrapped around his head and no arm floaties. And in that moment, God sends a whale to scoop Jonah up. Now, don't make too big of a deal about the whale, okay? Everybody gets all tripped up on, is there really a whale? Could that really happen? All the whale is, is it's an ancient Hebrew form of Uber, okay? So all that it is, is it's the way that God is gonna get Jonah from where he is to where he is supposed to be. And God scoops up Jonah via a whale, drops him off at the next stop of the shores of Nineveh. And Jonah finds himself on the shores of Nineveh. And Nineveh is one of the most barbaric, brutal cities in the history of the world. They skin their enemies alive and nail their tongues to the ground. These are not the kind of people that you wanna mess with. These are not nice people. They're not politically correct people. They are barbaric people. And Jonah marches into Nineveh in chapter three and he preaches an eight word sermon. Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Eight words in English, five words in Hebrew and the unexpected happens. The entire city repents, lives are being changed. They're like, I don't wanna be overthrown. And so they call a fast and everybody repents and God pours out revival on the people of Nineveh and those who Jonah thought were unsavable get saved by the grace of God. And we see in Jonah chapter three, verse 10, When God saw what they, being the Ninevites, did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. And that's where we pick up the story today, immediately following the revival of 120,000 of the most barbaric, far from God, sinners would never darken the doors of a church, want no interest in Christianity, do not care about religion. And they just experienced the mercy and the grace and the kindness and the goodness of God. God just breathed life into a city. We turn the page and we pick up the story. Jonah chapter four. Verse one, y'all get ready because it's about to get even weirder. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was angry and he prayed to the Lord and said, oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish for I knew 
I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me for it is better to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat out on the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now, the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. And then when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that it was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their left hand from their right hand and also much cattle. This is a weird ending because there's no chapter five. The story ends with us learning that apparently God is a PETA person. Also much cattle, and it ends. This is not the way that any of us would have expected the story to end. We would have expected the story to end in chapter three, right? With Jonah coming back home to the heart of God, him being obedient, him preaching the gospel, all the Ninevites repenting, revival breaking out with 120,000 people. Like all that was left is that like Jonah needed to marry a Ninevite woman, have a wedding with Free Willy as his best man, and then ride off into the sunset. Right, marry Nancy from Nineveh and let the credits roll. Story over, that makes sense, but that's not the way that it ends. It ends with this weird story where Jonah is pouting about a plant and God is very passionate about cattle. Why does it end here? If you're taking notes today, I want for you to write this down. It doesn't end here because the story isn't yet over. The story isn't yet over. I'd like to preach a message for you this morning titled, The Story Isn't Yet Over. If there is breath in your lungs, it's because God's not done writing the story in your life, amen? I don't know what you've been through. I don't know what bellies of the whale you found yourself in. I don't know what storms you've experienced. I don't know what ships you've got thrown from, but if there is breath in your lungs, God is not done writing the story in your life. This book doesn't end in chapter three because the chase isn't over. God is still running after Jonah. You see, God has run after Jonah and he's captured, he's caught Jonah's obedience. But what God wants to do now is he wants to capture Jonah's heart. I want for you to know today that God is after your heart. God is after your heart. More than God wants your religious action, he wants heart transformation in the innermost part of your being. He wants to transform you from the inside out. Is it great that you're in church? Yes and amen. Is it great that you know the part of the song to raise your hands and shout to the Lord? That's when you raise your hands, right? If you didn't grow up in church, I just want you to know, when they play shout to the Lord, you raise your hands, okay? 
This is just a little uh, Sunday school for those of you who never made it through Sunday school, all right? And so you know that, right? You know the right religious action, but do you have heart transformation? Because that's what God is after in Jonah. Yes, he preached to Nineveh, but his heart still isn't changed. And so he got Jonah to Nineveh, but now what he wants to do is he wants to get the love that he has for Nineveh into the heart of Jonah. God wants to do heart surgery on Jonah today. And I think God wants to do heart surgery on you and on me as well to work out some things in us that maybe we think that we've gotten figured out, but really and truly we don't. Maybe some things that we would give the right answer to, but the action in our life is disconnected from the things that we say that we believe. And so Jonah is, or God is running after Jonah to transform his heart today. You know, one of my favorite verses in the Bible is Isaiah 29, 13. Isaiah 29, 13 says this. It says, you come near to me with your mouth and you honor me with your lips, but your hearts, they're far from me. Your worship of me is made up of only a bunch of rules that are taught by men. Therefore, once more, I will astonish you with wonder upon wonder. And God in his grace looks at Jonah, a guy who's religious, but who isn't transformed, a guy who's obedient, but who isn't connected to the love of God. And he goes, I'm gonna astonish you with wonder upon wonder upon wonder. And that's what chapter four is all about. How many of you know that God intentionally does things to displease, to displease religious people? Do you know that God will intentionally do things that displease religious people? Like just find an angry religious person and I promise you revival's not too far behind. Like you find somebody who's just like angry and frustrated because things are changing and things are advancing and people are getting reached. And I guarantee you that means that revival's not too far behind because God loves to disrupt the status quo. He loves to do a new thing. He wants you to sing to him a new song. This is his character. And so he's disrupting Jonah. And Jonah says, I knew this would happen. Oh, I knew this would happen. I knew this would happen, God. Jonah chapter four, verse two, oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. You see, Jonah didn't run from Nineveh because he was afraid of the Ninevites. He ran from, the, from Nineveh because he knew the love of God. He knew that it was in God's character to forgive. It was in God's character to save. It was in God's character to offer mercy. This is who he is. I don't know what image of God that you have in your mind today. I don't know if you think that he is mad at you or angry with you or that if he is just out to get you, but the story of Jonah proves that God is chasing after you, not to punish you, but to restore you. Not, not, not to offer you damnation, but to offer you salvation. He's coming after after your heart, that's what we see in the story of Jonah, that his character is to save, his character is to love, his character is to forgive. And Jonah didn't like this because Jonah didn't like the Ninevites. Jonah didn't like the Ninevites. You see, for Jonah, he had this deep hatred, this personal hatred, this nationalistic hatred towards the Ninevites. Little um, history for you, history bus. Um, Nineveh is the capital of Assyria, which is the major world power at the time. They're the most dominant military force on the planet. And so much like the Roman Empire, the Assyrian Empire conquered territory with brutality and might and force. And so for Jonah, the Assyrian Empire, Nineveh, 
they have been people who have hurt, beaten, tortured, enslaved his ancestors. This isn't just like a general, I don't like those people. It's like, no, they are the thems. You see, the Ninevites to Jonah are the thems towards us. We've all got a political them. Oh, you're hanging out with them. Oh, you're talking to them. Why were they over at your house? I saw you tagged them on social media. I saw you're following their account. I saw you were watching that news station. You see, we've all got a thems, those people who are ruining our country. Maybe it's a political them. Maybe it's a generational them. Maybe it's a them that dresses different, talks different, acts different, looks different, thinks different. But there is this them that we don't think are worthy of God's love. And we would never say it out loud. We would never say it that honestly because we're in church and we love to lie in church. Can I get an amen? more lies are told in church than maybe anywhere else at times where we um, sing these songs that don't actually match up with our lives. And God is going, will you love the them? Jonah's heart was totally closed off to extending love to people who didn't look like him. Jonah wanted the grace of God when he was sinking in the middle of the ocean, but he did not want to extend the grace of, of God to the Ninevites who were sinking in their sin. Elevate City, we must never become the kind of church who says that there is anyone beyond heaven's reach, amen? That there's no person, regardless of their skin color or their sin or their political party or their background that is too far from the reach of the hand of God. There are no thems here. Jonah quotes the most quoted verse in the Old Testament. It's like the John 3:16 of the OT, okay? Like this verse is quoted more than any other verse. Jonah chapter four, verse two, you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. That verse is repeated all over the place in the Old Testament and Jonah quotes it to God, showing us that you can have the right theology and still have the wrong heart. You can have the right theology and you can still have the wrong heart. You can have the whole thing memorized. You can have all the Bible information in your head. You can go to Bible study every week, be full of theology, and still be devoid of true transformation. Listen, I love the Bible. Man, I love God's word. We believe that it's authoritative, that it's inspired, that it's active and living, sharper than any two-edged sword, able to pierce and penetrate hearts, cut to the deepest joint and marrow. We believe that all scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for teaching and rebuke and correction and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. We do not take parts of the Bible and pick and choose and say, we like this part and don't like this part. We don't stand on top of the Bible in authority over it and say, if I don't like it, I just, I do whatever I want we actually get under the bible hold it over us say that it, it rules us it informs us it directs our life and i love teaching the bible i love debating about the bible i love singing the bible and memorizing the bible and praying the bible and i love like the deep end of the bible i love to teach heady complex theological concepts in accessible ways i love to break down the deep end the meaty stuff of christianity and talk about the stuff that nobody else talks about i love to step on toes because the bible loves to step on toes i love 
love to teach verses that you ain't never heard taught before. I love to get into the deep end and get everything out of it that I can. But with that being said, I refuse to ever become the kind of pastor who just feeds people a bunch of biblical meat so that they get so full and so lazy and so lethargic that they don't have any ability to be a part of a movement to advance the kingdom forward. It's not just about just chewing on all of this biblical meat so that I can get filled up. It's about getting filled up so that you can pour your life out. And so we're the kind of church that's for two things. We're, we exist so that more people can know Jesus and so that people can know Jesus more. We are for the doubter, for the uninterested, for the skeptic, for the atheist to come and to explore and to check this out. And we're gonna teach the Bible in that way, but we're also here for the disciple to equip you to go out in the world and make an impact where you live, work, and play. And that's how we view the Bible. We're never gonna just make it this thing that we know, but not this thing that we live. Jonah gets dramatic. <laughs> he gets so dramatic. He starts pouting, he's upset, he's angry, he's ridiculous. He's like me when I have a cold. I wanna die. Kayla, I'm gonna die. Any other man like this when you get a little fever? Like I just get a little fever and I'm like, I think it's the end. I don't think I'm gonna live. <laughs> My tummy, right? Like that's, that's Jonah. Jonah's like, God, I wanna die. I don't even wanna be here anymore. How could you save those people? He just gets so dramatic and so ridiculous. And so God asks Jonah a question. He says, do you, do you do well to be angry? And Jonah just walks away. <laughs> I love that. I love that uh, God's not even offended by it, right? He asks Jonah a direct question. Jonah doesn't answer it. He just goes out like of the city and sits on the east side. Um, and I think it's important to remember that the reason that God doesn't get offended is because he doesn't ask questions for our benefit or for his benefit. He asks questions for ours. He doesn't ask us questions throughout the pages of scripture because he's trying to learn something. He asks us questions because he's the OG Yoda and he's trying to teach us something. He's trying to inform us and he's informing Jonah about what is going on in his heart. And so Jonah, he goes outside of the city and he sets up camp in hopes that maybe God will change his mind. Anybody ever do that? It's what happens when life kind of plays out in a way that it's different than what we want and things, we kind of move into isolation and we just sit back by ourselves and pout and hope that God changes his mind. And then we miss out on what God is actually up to. And so Jonah's out there and he's on the edge of the city and he's watching from afar and he's hoping that God will change his mind and he's hoping that he can be outside of the city because maybe God will be this God of judgment who sets Nineveh on fire and then Jonah can just watch the fireworks show from afar. And then in steps the weirdest part of the story and my favorite part of the story. Meet the plant and the worm. Meet the plant and the worm. You see, Jonah needed a whale to get him where God wanted him to be, but Jonah needs a worm to become who God wants him to be. He wants to use this plant and this worm as an object lesson to show something, to jo show Jonah something that he desperately needs to see. You see, God oftentimes uses that which we don't expect to do his most significant work. Now, you've got to remember that Nineveh is modern day Iraq. 
Nineveh is modern day Iraq. And so Jonah is out there and it is hot. And it is the scorching sun of the Middle East is beating down on Jonah's head. And I've just got to imagine that Jonah's head is probably like Pastor Mitch's, just bald, okay? And so he's... He is getting sunburned out there, right? And so he is, he's faint, he's tired, he's weary. Um, and, and, and what we see is that Jonah is drowning in chapter one and God appoints a fish. Jonah is burning up in chapter four and God appoints a plant. Now, I also want for you to realize that everything in this story responds quicker to God than the guy who grew up in church. Everything in this story responds quicker to God than the guy who grew up in church, God speaks, the storm comes. God speaks, the whale comes. God speaks, the whale spits. God speaks, the plant grows. God speaks, the sun scorches. God speaks, the wind comes. God speaks to the prophet and he pouts and runs away. Everything else is more obedient than the prophet. When are we gonna learn to obey as quickly as possible? Stop delaying what you know God has already told you to do. God is going to accomplish his purposes. The only thing in question is how much pain you want to experience in the process. I don't know about you, but I'm just trying to get to the end of life, knowing that God's already written the script, knowing that he holds the pen, knowing that he accomplishes his purposes with the fewest amount of bruises as possible. I don't want to be kicking and screaming against the will of a sovereign God in this journey called life. The Hebrew here is a... so funny. You see, the plant grows up overnight, and it provides shelter for Jonah's head, and Jonah is so pumped about the plant, okay? Uh, He's like exceedingly glad because of the plant, and it's really an echo of how exceedingly angry he was about Nineveh. God sends Nineveh, and it displeased Jonah exceedingly. God sends a plant, and it pleased Jonah exceedingly, and the plant, it's nothing to write home about, okay? Like, let me show you a picture of this plant, okay? Here's the plant. It's a castor oil plant. And uh, I spent a significant amount of my week uh, calling Pike's Nurseries and landscapers to try to get a castor oil plant on stage. And um, none of them had them. They were like, it's actually like this super rare plant. Like it's from the Middle East and it's like really hard to find here in the States. And I'm looking at it going, I think I got about six of those growing up in my grass right now. (laughs) Like that doesn't look very special. That doesn't look very spectacular, a castor oil plant. I mean, it it doesn't look like much to write home about at all. Hey, let me ask you, has a plant like this potentially stolen your purpose? It's so funny what happens is Jonah gets so pumped. He gets so excited. He's so in love. He's so thrilled by a castor oil plant. Have you allowed something that is currently providing you momentary comfort to bring you joy that only Jesus should? Have you exchanged and have you traded the call of God for momentary comfort that when you step back and really look at it, it looks pretty sad in the end? Because a lot of us, what we do is we trade stepping in and experiencing the extraordinary call of God on our lives for something that just looks like a castor oil plant in the end. Something that's not going to matter and something that can be gone overnight. Do not allow the calling that God has placed on your life to be sacrificed on the altar of comfort. That's what the story of Jonah is teaching us, that the plant is causing Jonah to miss a massive opportunity to invest in other people. Like, Jonah should be using his gift right now. 
Think about it. Think about who he is and what just happened. What just happened is 120,000 people who were so far from God just experienced revival. God just poured out his love in an unfathomable way. People who were broken got made whole. People who were in chains got set free. God was so good. And, and this prophet, he's sitting out on the edge of town pouting. Do you know what he should be doing? He should be teaching a new believers class. He should be up in there teaching these Ninevites like where Genesis is. He should be going, hey, you people who don't know your right hand from your left, like, let me show you who God is. Let me walk with you and coach you. But he's not using the gifts that God gave him. He is sitting pouting because things didn't go his way. And we cannot waste the God-given gifts in our lives because we are pouting and because we're holding on to our plant that's providing us momentary comfort. Jonah is more committed to comfort and preference than he is the purpose of God. But God uses this plant as an object lesson to show us that he will confiscate our comfort to remind us of real love. God in his grace will confiscate our comfort to remind us of real love. Verse seven, but when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. You see, Jonah had misplaced emotions. Jonah was angry about the wrong thing. He was angry that God took away his comfort. He missed out on the miracle of God saving Nineveh. And so this is what God says. The Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor and you did not make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and all so much cattle. Jonah, you're emotional about what you lost. You're emotional that God took you to people you didn't want to go to. You should be emotional about who got found. I don't know about you, but I don't want to waste my life getting emotional about the wrong things. I want my life to be a life that is angry about the right things and that is happy about the right things. I wanna use my emotion in the right way. I wanna be angry about the injustice in our world. I wanna be angry about racism. I wanna be angry about abortion. I wanna be angry about slavery. I wanna be angry about addiction. I wanna be angry about depression. I want those things to be angry. I don't, want, I don't wanna be angry about carpet colors. I don't wanna be angry about whether or not we're singing Hillsong songs. I don't wanna be angry about how loud the music is. I don't wanna be angry about the wrong things. I wanna be angry about the right things. And I wanna be happy about the right things. I wanna be emotional about the right things. I wanna be emotional about eight out of nine weeks people getting baptized in Jesus' name. I wanna get emotional. I wanna get emotional about addicts 
who got set free from addiction and now are addicted to helping people meet Jesus. That's what I wanna get emotional about. I wanna get emotional about social media influencers finding the love of Jesus and saying, I wanna pour out my influence for the fame of Jesus' name. I wanna get emotional about families fostering and adopting orphans to fulfill the biblical mandate to care for the least fortunate. I wanna get emotional about a generation of people saying, we're not gonna go quietly into the night and we're not gonna give in to the norms of society and we're not gonna say yes to wokeism, but we're gonna stand on the word of God till our dying breath. I wanna get emotional about the 120,000 people in the city of Sandy Springs who do not know Jesus and who we've got an obligation to introduce him to. Anybody else with me? That's what I wanna get emotional about. Far be it from us to become the kind of people who get so locked in on our preference, who get so locked in on our comfort that we miss out on God's purposes in the earth. You know his purpose is people, right? God loves people. He loves broken, Ninevite, different looking people from you and me. And we have this opportunity to extend his love and his grace, to be the conduit of getting his story to the masses. There is a city, there is a generation that needs what we have, that doesn't know the God we know, that can't sing the songs that we sing. We've got an opportunity to show them. Far be it from us to waste it, getting angry about the wrong things. You see, the question that God asks Jonah is the same question he's asking me and you today. Joey, are you going to put your comfort in front of my call? Josh and Joe and Susan and Kayla, are you going to allow your comfort and your preference to keep you from reaching people? You see, everything changes when you start to understand that people are created in the image of God and the best way to love God is to love his kids. Like you can come up to me and you can say all sorts of nice things about me. Joey, you're just so funny. I like your messages and you're just so passionate and I love the way that everything rhymes. It's just so cute. That's all fine and great. But if you come and talk about my daughter's hair, hello. If you come and say like your son's eyes look as blue as the ocean and I think he's the next Ryan Gosling, I say amen. You just... You love my kids and it makes all the difference in the end. And I want for you to know that you got a father in heaven who's asking you today, how do you treat his kids? How do you treat his kids? Are you caring for them and loving them and willing to lay down your comfort and your preference for them to know his love? People are greater than things. People are greater than preference and God's heart is for people. I wanna close today how we started this whole series with these two questions. I wanna start with the second one first. How do I follow Jesus when I'd rather turn and run? How do I follow Jesus when I'd rather turn and run? The first thing that I'd say that you should do is you should cut down the plants. You should cut down the plants. Where in your life have you gotten comfortable? Where in your life have you gotten cozy? 
Where in your life have you just started to play it safe? You know, I would just encourage you today to cut down the plants lest God send a worm. And get the things out of your life that are keeping you comfortable and that are holding you back from experiencing God's purpose. Cut down the plants. The second thing that I'd say is this, is pray. Pray. Jonah gets a lot of flack as he should. But the one thing to his credit, when Jonah gets in over his head, he prays his way out. I just wanna plead with you today, never stop talking to God. When you wanna run, just tell him you wanna run. And when you're hurt, tell him you're hurt. And when you're confused, tell him you're confused. God can handle your realness. He can handle your process. He is not intimidated by it. Just keep talking to him. Tell him that you don't know where he is. Tell him that you feel like he gave up on you. Tell him that you need a fresh move of his spirit. Tell him that you feel all alone. Tell him that you don't know why you feel the way that you feel, but you need him to change your insides. Just keep talking to God. Pray your way out. And the third thing I'd say is this, is stop doing it by yourself. The whole book of Jonah, Jonah is a one-man band. We must embrace this idea that we are better together. God had to send a storm and a whale and a plant and a worm and a scorching sun and an east wind because there was no person to be found in Jonah's life who could hold him accountable, ask him the tough questions and point him back to God. He was all alone. And it's when we try to do it all alone that we get in over our head and that we feel like we're drowning. Stop doing life on your own. It's how to follow Jesus when you'd rather turn and run. And then the first question, which is the last question today, is how far will God run after runaways? How far will God run after runaways? And my answer to you is all the way to the cross. All the way to the cross. Jonah ran from God, deliberately disobeyed God, got on a boat, went 2,500 miles in the opposite direction, and God hunted him down. He chased him. He sought after him. He ran, and he ran, and he ran, and he sent the storm, and he sent the whale. He sent the plant, and he sent the worm. He sent the wind, and he sent the sun. And for you and I, he sent his son. 2,000 years ago, God sent his son Jesus on the greatest rescue mission that has ever happened. He left heaven and he came to earth. He became man, took on flesh, deity, became humanity. And he did it to prove to you how much he loves you. That he's not angry with you, but that he's madly in love with you and that he's chasing after you today. Jesus went to Calvary. He went to Calvary. And I love this, I love that on Calvary that the final words out of the mouth of the God who runs after runaways is it is finished. And he didn't say it is finished because he was done running after people. He said it is finished because he knew that he'd done everything to prove that he'd never stop. That for all of eternity, there is this demonstration that God gave up his son to make you and I children of the most high God. And so I don't know where you're at in your life today. 
I don't know if you're trying to follow Jesus and you have this inclination to run or if you are a million miles away today and you don't even know how you got here today. You heard the music, thought it was a club, fumbled on in. But now you're wondering if you're not here on accident, if everything that happened in your life to get you here to moment to this moment is because there is a God in heaven who's running after runaways. And if that's you, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I wanna give you a moment to respond to Jesus today. Say, God, I'm tired of running. Just in the quietness of your heart, pray this, God, I'm tired of running. I need the rest that only you can provide. I know I've sinned, but I believe that you're my savior. I wanna give my life to follow you today. I believe you rose from the dead and I wanna rise to a new life too. If you prayed that prayer, then the Bible tells us that God's spirit came to live in you, making you a new creation. And we wanna celebrate with you today that the chase is over, that the prodigal has come home and that a new beginning is possible. And so with every head bowed, every eye closed on the count of three as just a sign of surrender, I want for you to raise your hand so that all of heaven can celebrate that you've come back home today. If you pray that on the count of three, raise your hand, one, two, three. Yeah, come on, amen, amen. All over the room, amen. Can we lift up a shout of praise, thanking God for saving people in this house today. If you made that decision today, then I do not want for you to leave without telling somebody. And so if it's during this song or as you exit today, find somebody, a member of our team down front or in the back and let them know that you took that step today because I believe that it's possible that the step of baptism is next for you. Jesus, all of this is for you. We thank you that you are the name that is above every name. Jesus, we thank you that you went to the cross to prove your love and that you poured it all out for us. Jesus, never let us forget the cross. Let it live in front of us. Let it live behind us. And let it be the thing that pushes us deeper into your presence. We pray this in your beautiful name. All God's people said, amen and amen.